You believe he's worthy tonight? I believe he's the almighty God. He's the need supplier. Amen. I want you to play the song, I Claim the Blood, Jesus Shed at Calvary. As we go to prayer tonight for these needs, and I may not mention them all, Brother Timothy, if I leave one out, please tell me. We have Jared Butts in the hospital. A young man, he needs Jesus. He needs a touch from God. He's, um, we don't know what his problem is in his, um, in his body. Doctors have not yet figured out what's wrong with him. But he needs a touch from the Lord. Also, we got a young girl expecting a baby. And the baby's not due for another six weeks. And she's also unsaved and needs Jesus. There's a bigger problem in her life than, than that which is, you know, even the baby being born. But she needs Jesus. And man, there is... Um, the Coleman family there that's lost a loved one. We want to pray that God would give comfort and strength. There's other needs that are there. Brother Ken Boyer, pastor. Now we know nothing can stand before believers' prayer, not even cancer. And we know that's true because we've seen it happen. Amen. We've seen the Lord God come down and deliver. Amen. And healed. I mean, doctor's report here and doctor's report there. Healed by the glory of God. This is a God of God of grace and a God of mercy. A God that can reach further down than what you can look up. And we got some needs here tonight. What are we going to do for these needs? We're going to claim the blood. Amen. The blood that was shed for us. We've got a right to claim that blood. Because Jesus shed it for us. Amen. So as we go to prayer tonight, let's just sing this for a moment. And then put it in our hearts and just say, I, I, I want it to grip your heart about every need. Whether Brother Ken Boyer or these unsaved girl, unsaved boy, and the situations there in their lives. Many times these things happen to bring them to God. I also have a request on my heart tonight. My grandson, Drew Dexter, there's some um, issues that the doctors are looking into concerning him. Tonight he is homesick. And um, we, it's too early to, to um, tell you what it's all about because we really don't know. But we do know the solution. Before we even know the problem, we know who the healer is. And we know the power of the blood. The power of this blood can go out and save a lost one. The power of this blood can go out and heal a a baby that is homesick tonight. We're going to claim the blood for this pastor, for this girl about to lose or about to have a baby too early. About this young boy in the hospital that needs a touch about a family that has lost a loved one. We're going to claim the blood for Drew. How many will claim it with me tonight? We got believers here. That's what we do. We believe. We've been taught not to fear.
but to believe. So let us pray together. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come before your throne of grace tonight, we know, Lord, the power of the blood that we have spoke about tonight. We know the healing that is in it, the deliverance for the physical realm. And, Lord, there are those that we have mentioned tonight, a, a pastor, a dear pastor that is suffering with a brain tumor. God, you're the healer. And there's, we're reminded of what you told Sarah of years ago. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Lord, we remember little Drew that's sick tonight. And again, we remember, we're reminded of what the Word of God said. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And then we think about Jared that is in the hospital and the doctors don't know what's wrong. And the young man has just been sick, very, very sick. And we asked again, the question comes back to, that must be answered. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And again, we say, no, it's not too hard for you, God. And there's a baby that's about to be born, maybe too early, and a mother that is lost, and this young man that needs a Savior. Lord, will you be merciful? Lord, there's a Coleman family that needs comforting, and I pray, God, that you'll undertake. Ever need supply tonight. Bring healing and deliverance in the mighty name of Jesus. We send out on the wings of this prayer, Lord, to every home, to every hospital, to every situation that we have mentioned tonight. And we rebuke the enemy and we claim the blood for every one of these situations. And everyone that is here in this service tonight, I pray that you'll just come in a mighty way and speak to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I claim the blood. Claim it now that Jesus shed on Calvary. What is it now? Those precious bloodstains were made there just for me. For all my sins and my sickness. tonight for you, for your loved ones, for your need. We believe it's done, don't we? Amen. That it's a finished work that he did for us. Amen. Appreciate your prayers while I was gone over the weekend.
I want to thank you for standing with us, for being here in the service, for supporting the church and the ministry. I know you were blessed. Amen. I've heard the message myself, and I was blessed. So I know you were blessed. Amen. And here to, tonight is, we are here. We've got a real special treat uh, to have with us from Ghana. We have our brother Samuel Taylor. And we have, I have friends in Ghana. If you remember many years ago, we had an elder from uh, Ghana was brother Daniel Boateng who came and ministered for us and was a blessing to us. And um, over the years, I've come to know several of the brothers there uh, in Ghana, which brother Jim Naimichi and also um, uh, brother John Ogosum who I have spent quite a bit of time with and labored with. And here we are tonight. We get to introduce to you tonight a, a, a brother from Ghana who loves the Lord Jesus. Amen. He's an elder there. He's uh, stood for the, for the message, for the truth of the gospel for many, many years. And he come here tonight to share the gospel with us tonight. Amen. I, you know, I, I like it when the gospel can be taken there. And then it can come back and be mirrored back again. And we can hear, you know, the very things. We can see the fruit of the labors of those who went out into the vineyards. Amen. And see it produce ministries that can bless the bride of Christ. Amen. So we're going to ask Brother Samuel Taylor to come now. And as, he, as we worship the Lord by hearing the word of God tonight. Amen. God bless you. Father, once again, we thank you for giving us the privilege to be in your presence this time. Father, many people have wished God to be alive at this time. Many would have wished to be in your presence. But Lord, has not been there a lot. But you have given us this favor before you this evening. We thank you, Father, for placing us the highest position in this world to be called sons and daughters of the living God. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. Lord, from this morning, even unto this time, Father, we have erred, we have done many things wrong. And as we come before you, we say, forgive us. Lord, forgive us of all our wrongs, our shortcomings, our excesses and omissions, Father. And accept us even as we are. Lord, may you speak to us the word of life. Lord, please every man aside. And let thy quickening spirit come and quicken the letter. That will be life unto us this evening. We commit to Lord as many as could not make it this evening to your hands. Wherever they are, Father, I pray that you give them the, the children, part of their, the children's cake. Bless us, O Lord. I thank you, Father my precious brother Tim who has given me the right hand of fellowship this evening. I pray gracious Lord be with us. Bless him. Bless this church. Bless this, the officers. Bless every brother and every sister here. And let Lord their needs and their requests be met according to your riches and glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Um, before we sit down, let's just read the scripture from First Kings chapter eight and verse one to eleven. First Kings eight one to eleven. And then we'll also read Romans chapter 8, 28 to 30. So let's read from 1 Kings chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chiefs, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. And they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those that the, the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place into the oracle of the house to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubim spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. Verse 8. And they drew out of the stave that the ends of the stave were seen out in the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without, and there they are unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tab- tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord hath filled the house of the Lord. Amen. And let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 30. Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Amen. Can we take our seats? Please, let's sit down. Hallelujah. I greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his grace, he has brought me this far to be with you. And uh, I really uh, thank Brother Tim, the pastor, who has given me the right right hand of fellowship. Um, I know him a couple of years back, but he actually doesn't know me. It's uh, yes, a minister friend in Ghana who introduced me to him. And graciously, he, I was just coming to the US and then he asked me to be here. So I, I was telling him this afternoon that uh, it's not easy for I mean, a minister to release his pulpit to somebody he hasn't met before. But if he has done that, then I'm very grateful. It's not easy. I wouldn't do that if I don't know the person. Yes, I mean, that is true. Because you are to protect the, the, the sheep, the people that Christ died for. See, and so I'm very grateful, Brother Tim. God Richard bless you for that. Um, as I said, I know Brother Tim for a while, and uh, I've heard him preach a couple of times at conventions. And uh, he's such a seasoned minister. And so, uh, when I had an invitation to come, see, even as of now, I'm nervous because he's such a, let me say, he's a great man of God, seasoned in the word. And so, I said, what am I going to preach? See, huh, so it's, it's not easy. <laughs> so, but we are trusting the Lord. We just trust in the Lord. Uh, this evening, I have just a, a, a thought in my heart I want to share with you. And I've titled it, The Ark in Position. That's the Ark of God in Position. You know, God has... Um, a season for everything that he has planned. God programs everything. He is not we who stand one morning and they say, I want to do this, I want to do that. But God has programmed everything that he will ever do. We know that he did everything. The seventh day was his, his rest. And God is not doing any new thing. Whatever is happening, God has already planned them. So he has seasons for everything that he has planned. He does his things according to his own program. And his way, the Bible says that his ways are past finding. You cannot understand God, the way he goes about things. Sometimes we human beings, we want God to act or move or behave the way we want. But that is not it. God moves according to his own program. And that is how he does things. We will never understand him. 
But one time, we all know about Job. Job went through a, a real trial, a real test. And so even his friends, who came to kind of console him, he said they were miserable comforters. They all thought that Job might have sinned along the line. But Job said, no, I have not done anything. I mean, what Job went through was a real trial. But after it all, God called him. Job did it. He said, now come. Get yourself, get yourself and then come and answer me questions. When I was laying down the foundation of the earth, where were you? You know, this tells me that, you know, before the foundation of the world, God knew. He had programmed. He had permitted the devil to tempt uh, Job. But he knew right from the beginning of the world that the devil will not succeed. Amen. See, So that's why he was saying, when I was laying down the foundation, where were you? I have put all those things in place. So there was nothing going to be, I mean, nothing was going to, you were not going to lose you, I was not going to lose you, and nothing was going to come against you. He said, you can touch him, touch everything, but you cannot touch him. Don't touch his soul. So God has, he knows everything, he plans everything. It's not, it's not, it's not about what man wants to do to, for God, but it is what God can use us for. So all that God expects of us is just to yield ourselves. Yield completely to him. Please, is my accent okay for you? All God expects of you and me is that we yield completely to him. And then he, because he knew us before the foundation of the world, he knows what he can use you for. He knows what he can use me for. He knows what he can use everyone for. Not what I want to do for God. I may be running, I mean doing God a service without doing his will. But when I yield myself in his hands, then he will use me. See, that is why no two people are the same. God has his own chosen vessels that he uses at any time. And so you cannot take one, one person's place. Nobody can take your place and, and that kind of thing. But God uses us as he has chosen. The Bible says that the things of God are seen to be foolish to men. And the things of men are foolish to God. See, God doesn't do things the way we do. Now, like we read from Romans chapter 8, it says, those that he foreknew, he also predestinated. And those that he predestinated, he also called. And those that he called, he justified. And those that he justified, he glorified. So there are people, not just everybody, so God does things the way he wants. Now, I want us to take a look at the lineage of Jesus. The lineage of Jesus. We all know of Tamar, or a man called Judah, one of the sons of uh, Jacob. Tamar was a, 
was a daughter-in-law of uh, Judah. And not, just to cut a, st- a long story short, Tamar disguised herself to be a prostitute, a harlot, and then um, had an issue with her father-in-law. And then the result, the outcome of that, I mean, he, she took seed. The outcome of, of that uh, had, was a, were twins, one of them, Pharis. And then Pharis, God allowed this nasty thing to happen in order to preserve the tribe of Judah out of which Jesus came. See, the tribe of Judah had to be preserved through this uh, situation. And Jesus came from this tribe of Judah. God allowed it to be, for that tribe to be preserved. We know of um, Rahab, the harlot. He, she got married to a Jewish general, Salmon, yeah. and brought forth a son called Boaz. The, a, a prostitute getting married to a Jewish general, bringing forth a son called Boaz. That was the line that Jesus chose to come. We know of Ruth. Ruth was a Gentile woman, and... Jews regard Gentiles as unclean people. And yet that was the line, that was the choice of God. So Ruth was married to Boaz, and Boaz, they brought forth a son called Obed, and then Obed brought forth a son called Jesse, and then Jesse brought forth a son called David, and then that was the line of Jesus. You don't see any good thing when you look through the line. But yet, that was God's choice. I mean, God is sovereign. And that was the choice he chose. I mean, he made. Nobody can complain. Nobody can say anything. You look at uh, Solomon of Bathsheba. Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, was the wife of Uriah, one of David's uh, soldiers. And then out of lust, we know the story, David went into her, and then to cover his son, he commanded that Uriah, Uriah, that is Bathsheba's husband, should be killed at the battle, and all that. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. For he See your calling, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised had God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. So the things that are considered foolish and all those, those are the things that God chooses to confound the wise. So, so we realize that it is God who justifies. It is not man who justifies himself. 
but it is God who justifies because how can God choose these people and then use that, that land for the Messiah to come into the world? But it is God who justifies. Nobody can say anything about it. Adam was called out of sin because he went, he sinned and went into hiding. God had to call him. Abraham was, was an idolater. And God called him out of adult worship. We were not what we are. We were all sinners. But saved by grace. So it's just God who called us. He called us out of these issues and then saved us. You see, when it comes to choice, I believe, and I, I, I believe that God had better people to choose than you and me. When it comes to choice, God had better options. And yet he chose me. And he chose you. There were better people to have been chosen. There are people who are going to the Bible school, striving, doing this just to know God. The things of God. God has just simply revealed it to you. He has just chosen you. He has chosen us. There's a man in the Bible called Jephthah. Jephthah was also the son of Herhalot. And his half-siblings or brethren cast him out because they didn't want him to have any inheritance of their fathers. He was cast away. But there came a time when Israel had to go to war. And there was no one to lead them as the captain. They looked around, there was nobody. So they had to fall on this same Jephthah that they cast away to come and lead them to battle and to victory. So when we look at all these choices, we realize that there were better options. And yet, these were the men of God that God had foreordained to use for these times and seasons. David was God's own choice. When Samuel was asked to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the king instead of Saul, he got to Jesse's house, he told his mission, and then I believe Jesse brought, as the Bible says, he brought those who were well built. He brought them first. He brings them, the Lord says, that is not him. The Lord rejected all of them. There were seven of them. God rejected all of them. So someone asked Jesse, is that all your signs? Oh, yeah. There is just some lanky ones, some small, but he's just in the field with the sheep. See, until you bring him, we are not sitting down. You know, and the moment David started coming, the anointing came on Samuel. He said, that is him, anoint him. You see, he was the least among his siblings. Yeah, that was God's choice. It is God who justifies. It's not him that runneth, nor him that willeth, but it is God. You look at even Solomon himself. Solomon was the least to be expected to be the king because of his background. Your mother in the first place, committed adultery with King David. And so 
you look at it, and Solomon was the least to, for anybody to, to expect to become the king. But in First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 5, David said, And of all my sons, for the Lord had given me many sons, he had chosen Solomon my son to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said unto me, Solomon thy son, he shall build my house and my court. Solomon was the least among David's sons to be considered for the throne. And yet that was God's choice. It was God's choice. But you see, it is a privilege to be chosen of God. That is one thing I want to lay emphasis. It is a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege to have been chosen of God to serve him. We are not doing God a service by serving him. He has done us a service by calling us to serve him. That is how we have to see it. If we come to church, it's not that we are doing God any service. If we pay our tithes, it's not that we are doing God any service. If we, are, we engage ourselves in any service of the Lord, it's not that we are doing him any service. But it is a privilege he has given to us to serve him. So it says serving the Lord should not be grievous. It should not be burdensome to us. It should not be something that we should be tired of. We should always count the privilege because there are many people who God could have chosen. And remember, I said, if we don't serve, if we don't worship, he can raise non-living things, stones, to worship him, to serve him, to praise him. See, so if we are serving the Lord, count it a privilege. Count it a great favor. And let us do it with all our heart, with all our mind, with all that is in us. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. A great privilege. Shouldn't be grievous at all to us. We should not belittle our calling. God has called us, and it's a great calling. We should not belittle it. You know, Solomon was the choice. Look at Absalom. Absalom. Before, the, before when David was alive, he drew the hearts, he, he stole, the Bible says he stole the hearts of the people. So that he could be installed as king. But the, 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 the throne didn't belong to him. So it didn't work. Yes, he stole the hearts of the people. He even rebelled against his father. His father had to run away or go into the bush. But the, the kingdom didn't belong to him. Adonijah. Or Adonijah or something, the way you call it. When David was on his sick bed, he gathered some people around him and then they enthroned him. They made him king. Yeah. Yeah. They heard it. Say, no, the kingdom, the, the throne doesn't belong to you. Right. Yeah. And I believe all the sons of David would have wished that they were the people to ascend the throne. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't their lot. 
It's God who chooses. It's God who gives out. So it didn't go to any of them because they were not the choice of God. But Solomon was God's choice. God chose Solomon to ascend the throne. And he said, Solomon, thy son, will build me a house. The prophet says something here. He said, um, and at one time, David was looking out upon the, the ark of the Lord, sitting in the tents. He was sitting with the prophet Nathan of that day. And so he said, is it right that I will dwell here in a house, live in the house of Cedar and the ark of the covenant of my Lord under, under tents? See, so David, a man after God's own heart, desired to build a house for God to dwell in. But God said, your son will build me that temple. Your son will, yes, your son will provide me a dwelling place, a place of my habitation. So Solomon didn't, uh, David didn't build, but Solomon built God a house. He built him a temple. He built him a place of dwelling. Now realize that God didn't allow David to build a temple because that would have broken the continuity of Scripture. David was not the one to build the temple, but David's son, Solomon. And so we see Jesus being the royal seed of David. Also coming to build a temple or provide a temple, a dwelling place for, for God. Solomon, being the, the son of David, provided God a dwelling place, a temple. And Jesus, the son of God, the son of David, the royal seed of David, also provided God a temple, a dwelling place for, for, for God. Because Jesus, Jesus is a type of Solomon to sit on the throne of David one of these days. See, so he also provided a tabernacle for God. And this body, his body was the tabernacle of God, for God. The body of Jesus was the tabernacle, the temple for the living God to dwell in. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But his blood was a creative blood, which Jehovah God, his father, created a blood cell in the womb of Mary. And he brought forth a son, Christ Jesus, which was a tabernacle place for Almighty God to, li to live in when he was here on earth. And the body was given at Calvary for a sacrifice to redeem you and I. And that was a tabernacle or the dwelling place of Jehovah himself. Jehovah walked in a tabernacle of flesh. God tabernacled himself, Jehovah, in that body of his son. So the father dwelt in the son, being the tabernacle. The father dwelt in the son, being the tabernacle. So Solomon proved, I mean, built a temple for God's dwelling Jesus, the son of God, the son of David, provided a temple for God to dwell in. That is his own body. He provided his own body as the temple for God to dwell in. Now, as we read, um, talking about um, verse 5, 
the, the last part of verse 5 of First uh, Kings chapter 8. Saying, um, they sacrificed sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for multitude. Lots of sacrifices of animals were done. But we know that all the sacrifices put together amounts to that one great and perfect sacrifice that was made. The Lord Jesus Christ offering himself as the perfect sacrifice for, for mankind. Yes, to for our redemption, for our salvation. Now, also verse 2 says that um, Solomon made a feast. Verse 2 said, Solomon made a feast in the month Athanim, which is the seventh month. Solomon made a feast in the seventh month to bring the ark to the prepared place. So the feast was made on the seventh month to bring the ark of God to uh, its prepared place. It took a feast, you know, to assemble the people. God, Solomon made a feast and he took that feast to assemble the people for the ark to be brought in. The feast of, I'm reading from the Feast of Trumpets. The prophet said, The Pentecostal feast has passed over seven Sabbaths until the trumpets, a type of the seventh church age. So a trumpet is a type of the seventh church age. Say, so remember, under the sixth trumpet, the Pentecostals reject the Bible. The lukewarm, not only Pentecostals, but all the rest. The church world rejects Christ and he is put on the outside. And in the same seal, when it, is, it was opened to show Jesus on the outside of the church trying to get back in. Amen. The Holy Spirit has been bound by these denominational rivers for almost 2,000 years but it is to be loosed in the evening time by the evening time message. The Holy Spirit back in the church again. Christ himself revealed in human flesh in the evening time. You know, now, the prophet is looking at what was happening in, in Solomon's time. The ark of God, which is the presence of God, was kept under tents. It was kept on the outside. Now, a a temple was made to bring the ark of God into the tent, uh, into the temple, because that is where it belongs, not to be kept under tents. So it's likening it to the seals that were opened. You read Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, how that Jesus the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was kept on the outside of the church. So the church world rejected Jesus Christ. So he was on the outside. He wasn't on the inside. They were doing their own thing. Um, um, what is this spirit? Uh, uh, Nicolitan spirit. So 
It was a man, a man's rule, not the Holy Spirit rule. They had cast him out. So it was man ruling or well, ruling the people. See, so Jesus was on the outside. The tent or the ark of God was on the outside. And so Solomon made a feast to bring this ark into the temple. Now it says that uh, the, the Holy Spirit had been bound these years for almost 2,000 years, but it's loosed in the evening time by the evening time message. So Jesus has always been on the outside. And now there is a message, evening time message, that is bringing him back into the temple. Bringing him back into the temple, just like it happened in the days of uh, Solomon. So he is coming back into his rightful place to dwell among his people. So the ark, which is the presence of God, has been put on the outside, and then Christ is coming in back unto his people. And the evening time message has brought Jesus, or the Spirit of God, the presence of God, back into his church, back into his people. And that is in the evening time. The Holy Spirit is back into the church. Christ dwelling among his people. Now, one thing we have to note is that the temple of Solomon was very magnificent, very nice, outstanding. Everybody that saw it saw that it was really, really nice. See, but this nice temple of Solomon was good for nothing until the ark got in. Without the ark getting in there, they could have used it for a museum or some gymnasium or maybe community center or anything else. So what made the difference was the, the, the ark that was placed in the temple. Without the ark, no matter how beautiful the thing was, it was nothing. Yesterday, when I got here, oh, it was even in the night, but I saw how, the, how beautiful the, the, this book. I really admired it. I came in with Brother Aaron, took some pictures even before you came. Very nice. See, but, you know, the prophet said, the beauty of the church is what? The character of the people. It is the character of the people. It's a nice building. But it's the character of you and me that matters. So until the ark comes into this temple, the temple is good for nothing. I mean, it's beautiful, but for what purpose? It doesn't serve the purpose. So the beauty of the thing of, the, of Solomon Temple is the ark that went in. When you take the ark out of the temple, there's nothing to eat again. The prophet says, my friends, I don't want to hurt feelings, but I'm responsible for a message. And that message is, come out of this mess. 
And if I ask you to come out, where am I going to take you to? Will I take you to Brahm Tabernacle? It's as much fault as any of the rest of them. But there is one place I can take you to where you are saved and protected from death. That's in Jesus Christ, God's place of worship. That's the place I'm introducing to you tonight, where God put his name, where he promised he will meet every person that come in there. He will worship with him and feast with him. That's in, in Christ, not in no church, no, no tabernacle. But in Christ, he is God's tabernacle. He is a place that God came into himself and dwelt in him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm, I'm pleased to dwell in. There is where God tabernacled, brought his name and placed it upon, G, upon Jesus Christ. Therefore, his name was put in a man, his son, Jesus Christ, in which the tabernacle, in which he tabernacled himself, and in that tabernacle, where in a type, the old Jerusalem, the old feast, the old temple was a type. When the smoke came in the day that the ark went in of the covenant and settled down, and the voice of God was heard from it. So did the voice of God be heard, coming into the tabernacle, Jesus Christ, which the old, that is natural, was a type of a shadow of the new. And when he came into Christ, he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am pleased to dwell in. And I'll choose a place where I'll put my name and where I'll meet Man and where our worship at. God chose the place, not in no church denomination, but in Christ Jesus. You know, comparing two things. The old, as the, the, the temple that we're talking about, we know that after they had brought the ark in, now Solomon prayed a prayer unto God. He prayed a prayer. Unto God, that Lord, make this place your, your dwelling place. And if any of your children should be, should be in trouble anywhere, when there are no rains, when they, they have pestilence, any problem that your children have, when they turn their hearts or they turn their eyes towards this temple and pray, Lord, hear them. And grant their, their, their desires. And Bible said, the presence of God came into the, into the temple. God accepted it and dwelt there. He said, the same when, when Jesus was being baptized. When Jesus was being baptized, the Spirit of God came on, on him like a dove and settled on him. So God came and tabernacled himself in this body of flesh called Jesus. And then God spoke again that this is my beloved son in whom I'm, well, I'm pleased to dwell in. So I'm going to dwell in this temple, in this tabernacle, in this flesh. See, so just as God accepted to dwell in Solomon's temple, he accepted to dwell in the temple called Jesus. Solomon prayed, 
that prayer, any, anywhere that your people are, when they, 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 they sin, when they find themselves in difficulty, when they pray towards you, when they pray, just accept them. He talked about Jonah when he was in the belly of that big fish. Jonah was just in the belly of the fish. He didn't know whether, whether it was east, west, south, or north. But he prayed by faith, believing that he was looking towards the temple. And God granted his desire. God delivered him. Hallelujah. Because that was Solomon's prayer. And God said, I will do it. Now, look at the temple made with hands. God accepted it. That if you pray towards this temple, I will grant your request. Now we have a temple better than that of Solomon. Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Say, if you ask anything in my name, it shall be yours. It was this temple and that temple. We have a better temple than that of Solomon. So if God accepted and their request and everything by looking at that temple, God is more than able. He will hear us. He will grant our request when we look at that better temple, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. At, at the mention of his name, every knee bows. Whatever you ask in his name, he will grant, he will grant it. Is he not the one who was in the, in the, in the wilderness? The brazen serpent that was raised up? Say, if you are in, in trouble, if you are beating, whatever, just look up to it. You'll be saved. You'll be healed. And that is the Jesus. That is the tabernacle of the Lord. Whatever we ask in that name. Because he, dwelt, he, he delighted, he was pleased to dwell in that tabernacle. You ask anything in that name, it shall be yours. That is for, for we believers. Whatever we ask, he will do it. That is a promise. And God will not fail us. He will grant it to us. Now Solomon, the son of David, made a feast in the seventh month to bring the ark into the temple. And Jesus, the son of God, the son of David, has also made a feast in the seventh church age to bring the ark into the heart of his chosen temples. A feast has been made to bring the ark into the heart of his chosen temples. He has chosen some temples and bringing his, uh, bringing the ark into these temples. In the message, the future home of the, of the heavenly bride. The prophet said, the feast of tabernacles was the last feast. The feast of tabernacles was the last feast, the seventh feast. We are worshiping now under the feast of the tabernacles, the seventh church age. The feast of tabernacles was the, was the last feast, the seventh feast. Now say, we are, we are worshiping under the feast of tabernacles. The seventh church age. So we are worshiping under the seventh church age. What is it? To positionally place the ark. 
That feast of Solomon brought the, the, the ark into its position. Now, the, the, this feast, which had been made by the Son of God, the Son of David, is also to positionally place the ark in the heart of his tabernacles. You know, all the, all the time the prophet was just screaming, back to the word, back to the word, back to the word. What was he doing? Trying to place the word where it's supposed to be. The word should be the ark of God, or the word of God should be placed where it's supposed to be. And not just anywhere. Verse 6 of First Kings chapter 8. Now I said, the priest, and the priest brought in the ark of the covenant, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, into his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. Now, it says the priest carried the covenant, or the ark, into its place. The priest. So, here it is the ministers who are to carry this ark into the temples, these temples. The ark of God should be carried by the priests or the ministers into these temples. These are the temples. And they are not, the ark should not remain on the outside under tents again. But it should be carried into the temples, these temples. That's where they belong. That's where they are supposed to be, to be carried into these temples. The temples of the hearts of men. So the, temple, the, the ark of God, which is the word of God or the presence of God, is to be carried by the ministers into these temples. Now, it says... Only that consecrated group could bear the ark. No man could, could touch it outside of them. Only the consecrated group could bear the ark. So it's only the ministers. You remember when the ark was being carried on, uh, uh, on a cart and one man called Uzzah or something tried to, he thought, that, you see, the thing was just moving this way. He thought it was going to fall. He was helping it. Yeah, to stay t- stay, to, to, to stay stable, and then God smote him. You can't help God. You see, you cannot help God. How can God fall? God cannot fall. But he thought he was going to help. He was just, I see, innocently he did it. But it's not about innocence. That's why the prophet said you can be, um, you can be, um, Okay, let's go ahead. He said you can be uh, something ignorant. Forgotten. Hallelujah. So, it says it takes consecrated men to do that work. Wedding ministering is not a joke. It's not a joke. And to, if you have an appointment or you're a minister, 
Sunday or something. It doesn't matter how familiar the people are to you. Until you finish preaching, you are not yourself. Oh? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So it takes a consecrated people to bear the ark and place it where it belongs. So he said, from its tent, they started marching and the trumpets sounding, the psalteries playing, the smoke going up from the dead animals that was being sacrificed before Jehovah. Down through the building of dedication, they came till they brought it to its resting place where it fit down into the socket of this great, huge place that had been set for it. And when it fit down and finally came to its resting place, that is the ark, the Bible said that the Lord descended down upon the place till it filled the entire temple. The pillar, um, the pillar of fire came in there with such great glory of God till the ministers could not minister anymore because of the glory of God. Now, you see, they carried this temple to its rightful place. They carried it to its resting place. Not just anywhere. The temple was built anyhow. They didn't carry the ark say, once we've got it into the temple, that is okay. No. It was, there was a special place prepared or provided for the ark to be placed. See, so when we receive the word of God, it's not to our brains. We don't receive the ark, the word of God, into our brains. We become what? Intellectual believers. To not help us. Now that we receive it into our bellies, then our bellies become our God. But we receive the word of God into our hearts. That is the rightful place for the ark. That is the rightful place for the word of God. That is the rightful place for the Holy Spirit. And it says that it fits into the socket. It fits into the socket. It wasn't shaky. It fit right into it. You know, it reminds me of what the prophet said about like a shipping company or a transport company when they, they, they transport goods and others. You know, before the inspector puts his seal, he wants to inspect and make sure that everything is fit and in order, that they are not shaking, whereby they, I mean, they will not be able to reach their final destination intact. So everything should be done right and fit right. Then the, the inspector puts his seal on it, the seal on it. So in our hearts, this thing should be fit. The word of God should be received into our hearts and it should be fit. It should fit into it. It shouldn't become shaky. Well, we are tossed about with every, every wind of doctrine. Anything that you are here, and then you are the next day you are here. No. It must be fit. It must be settled there. That is its place. And once it is settled in the heart, it takes control of the entire body. Because the heart, we believe, we, 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 we are told that the heart is where blood is pumped to every part of the body. From the heart, the blood is pumped to the, the brains, the, the fingers, the toes, and everywhere. 
So if the, the word of God settles in your heart, it takes control of the rest of the body. It pumps life to every part of the body. So every part of the body is brought under dominion, under subjection of the word of God. So it might be placed well in the heart. When it is well placed there, then we don't have a problem. But when it is shaky, then it means our faith is also shaky. We cannot continue that way. We are talking about the ark of God being in its position, the rightful position. When it is rightful, um, rightful place, we don't have a problem. Am I overstaying my time? Just some few minutes, I'll finish. Hallelujah. So the word of God or the ark of God must be positionally placed well. That's when it found its resting place. The Shekinah glory that followed those capping stones. Not the corner, the capping stones, the main thing. All other stones were of none effect until then. But this main stone came in, the headstone, and took its place positionally for its resting place for that generation. See, the glory of God filled the place where they were sitting, and there was Shekinah glory upon the whole building. And the glory was so great till the priest couldn't even minister because of the glory of God. See, the glory of God took over. And then it wasn't the minister ministering, but it was God himself that had taken over and then doing the ministration. That is, when all these are put in place, then God takes over and then he does the, 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 the administration. Now it says... Um, Stephen, in his notable sermon as he preached, he says Solomon built him a temple because it was, pro- it was promised through David that he would. God promised David that he would build the temple and God in a type which was to be taken away by an antitype, just like the sacrifice of the lambs at the dedication was a type of the real lamb coming for sacrifice, that we're talking about. And we find out that when this taking place, Stephen is speaking of it, that our fathers found a favor before God, and Solomon built him a temple. How be it, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. And where is the house that you could build for me? Then how beautiful Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5 uh, puts it. Say, but a body has thou prepared me, showing that God was going to dwell in a body. I said, and when this body had been made a sacrifice, that the correct lamp had been sacrificed, God came to his own body, which was his bride. And there, and there, there had been there had, been, uh, there had been 120 temples that God had created were ready for dedication. Now, you see, he's turning the, the temple from Christ unto the bride. So the temple of God is God came to his own body, which is the bride. And, and there, there had been 120 temples that God had created that were ready for dedication, 
that had got all their unbelief beaten out of them. When was that? The day of Pentecost. The 120 temples were made ready there for dedication. Where all their unbeliefs were beaten out. And they gathered in the upper room and waited for 10 days of dedicational service. Then when completely surrounded, God came down again in the Shekinah glory and filled all the house where they were sitting. So when all their unbeliefs were done away with and they were completely surrendered, when they were all completely surrounded, then God took over. And then he settled on every one of them, all the 120 temples that were there. He entered into every one of them. You know, he divided himself, tongues of fire, settled on every one of them, filling all the temples, indwelling all the temples because they were made ready for his dwelling. He came in and dwelt in all of them. I say, what did God do? Like the ark dropping into its proper socket for the message of that day, God dropped back into his proper channel, not in a denomination or into a building made with hands, but into the hearts of men. He dropped in his place for that last day, which said the prophet Joel, it shall come to pass in the last day, shall pour out my shekinah upon all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams. And the old men shall see visions. God came to his resting place where he finds rest. Not in a building, but in the hearts of his people, he finds rest. So God came down and filled these temples or occupied or indwelt, tabernacled himself in these temples that were made ready on the day of Pentecost. He came and filled all of them, came and dwelt in them. Now I say, what a shame, what a disgrace that Nimrod, Nimrod's man-made achievement was brought to them. When Nimrod tried to build an organization that would reach up to the heavens, God upset it. It became a shame. Instead of helping man, instead of helping man, he confused the language of man. So one couldn't speak to another. It broke fellowship. It broke brotherhood. But when God came to his own temple, the church, when he came to them, he filled it that the temples that were dedicated, just like he did at Solomon's temple. He filled it not with creeds, not with denomination, but with himself. He filled the temple with the Shekinah glory. So, so did he do on the day of Pentecost. So he filled them 120 temples that were up there with himself, with the Holy Ghost itself. The Shekinah glory broke through them. And I said, and then what Nimrod failed to do, that is build a temple where every man spoke contrary to what he could understand, God came down and with one Galilean language, 
made every man understand what, was, what he was saying and what it was. So there is God, there is God in his temple, God to his dedicated temple, not to a man-made achievement, not to what man did, but what God did himself. Now, Nimrod tried by his own effort, man's achievement, to make something that would reach up unto God, unto heaven. He said he failed. It broke confusion. It broke brotherhood. It broke uh, fellowship. But when God came and dwelt in his temples, he said with one Galilean language, he made them all understand one another. It was brotherly kindness. It was sweetness of fellowship. We agreed with one another because his spirit dwells in you. His spirit dwells in me. He dwells in every one of us. So we can have fellowship. There is, I mean, it, it, it binds us together. Amen. That when God comes to dwell in these temples, it brings fellowship. It brings unity. It brings oneness. It brings understanding. It brings love. It brings care for one another. That is what God does when he comes to dwell in his, in his, in his temple. And the last scripture we want to look at is verse, uh, verse 9 of 1 Kings, same scripture. So there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stones which Moses put there at Horeb. When the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt. In the ark, there was nothing except the two tables of stones, or tablets of stones. And on those tablets of stones, you and I know, were the law. So it's the word of God. So on, uh, in the ark, it was only the ark, and only the, 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 the word of God, the law, that was found in there. And so if it takes its place in us, it is just the word of God that is supposed to be in us. God will not share his glory or his temple with any other. So he occupies us fully. It's just the, the, the word of God, the law. The two tablets contain the law. And Jesus said, I am the word. I'm the law. I didn't come to break the law. I came to fulfill it. So it is God and God alone taking his proper place in in our heart. Dwelling there, settling there. So when the ark of God has been properly settled in the temple, everything is set. Everything has a rest. When we we have God in our heart, we are at rest. Hebrews chapter 4. See, if we come to him, we are, we, we, are, we are taking our rest from everything. A believer, when he has Christ in him, is not envious. He's not, he doesn't strive for things. I mean, he's, he's satisfied. When you have Christ in you, you are satisfied. If God is not in your heart and you want to put other things there, put the whole world in your heart. Still, it will be desiring for something else. You will never be content with the things of this world, the whole world. Let them give you the whole world. If Christ is not there, you will want something else. 
That's why we find people, they have all that <coughs> take to make life in this life. Yeah, they want to go and live in mass. When they think they want to go to Jupiter. Because there's nothing that will satisfy them. But Christian, believer, when you have Christ in you, Amen. that is all. That's all you need. Yeah. When the ark of God has been positionally placed, brethren, that is all. If we have God in us and it is properly positioned where it is not being shaken, as I said, by any wind of doctrine here and there, you hear this man has done that and you want to follow this. No, no, you are settled. You are settled in him. That is it. When God has settled in your heart, that is all you need. That's all we need in this life. Philippians chapter 3, 20, that's the last scripture. It says, um, who will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to his working, whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Amen. Now, we prepare the body for him to dwell in. This, these bodies, prophet said, God has no hands by your hands. He has no eyes by your eyes. He has no legs by yours. And all. So we prepare the body for him to dwell in. God has also prepared a body for us. Say, my father's house has many mansions. The prophet said, these are not structures of brick, mortar, and all those things. It's a body that he has prepared for us. When we leave this, when this one is dissolved, there's one prepared that is waiting us. God has prepared a body for us. Because we gave him our body to dwell in, he has also prepared a temple for us where we will dwell in. And so, brethren, let's make sure that it is God and God alone that we care for. The prophet came to point us to one thing, the word. Let's live for the word. Amen. Do we know this song? Oh, how I love him. Down from his glory, ever listen. If the musicians can help us. Sorry if I've overstayed the time. Down from his glory, ever living story, my God and Savior came, I Jesus was his name.
that tonight? Do you really love him tonight? Amen. Then you want the word to have a proper place in your heart and life. Amen. God is so good to us and we love him. We appreciate him. We appreciate the words tonight that we heard. And I want you just to, just to let it find a resting place in your life. Amen. When you, when you realize the word has to have the right place in your life and your heart. And to realize that you have been chosen. A people that's been chosen. He didn't choose the wise. He didn't choose the great. But he chose some of the foolish and the offscouring. As our brother was telling us here tonight, God would take what, what would be thought the, the, the offscouring of humanity. A harlot like Rahab. Put her in the lineage of Jesus. An outcast, a woman from an outcast race of Moab. And yet he would choose her to be the mother of Jesus Christ. You know, come right down and choose a Solomon out of a, 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 a relationship that, you know, it didn't look like it would come from there. No, no way God would choose that. Sometimes we look at our own selves like tonight and we say, ain't no way God would choose something like me. But he did. Amen. It's because he had a plan and he had a program and he included you in it. Amen. He wasn't going to leave you out of it. But you were a part of him before the world ever began. Amen. And he saw fit to see you, to call you. Amen. To ordain you to be a part in this evening time. What an age, what a day that we're living in, church. Amen. That he would, he would call a people for his namesake. And yet he didn't call the rich and the wise and the educated. He called you and me. Some of the humblest of the humblest. But God knows what he's doing. Because he wants somebody that will temple the almighty God. He wants somebody that he can come and dwell in and live in. This is God tonight. This is what we're talking about. Amen. The simplicity of God and what he does. Did you hear what we heard preached tonight? Come right down along the line of Adonijah, Solomon, some of the scriptures you heard Sunday. God's trying to tell you something here. Amen. He's, he's bring it back again to your attention and realize that God has chosen you out of the world to display his word in this day, to be a dwelling place that the word of God could come and dwell and rest in your life. But not just to rest, but, but that the glory of God could come and fill your temple, that you could be the temple of the Holy Ghost, that the word would have the right and the proper place in your life. Amen. Oh, brother, that word has got to have its place in you. Amen. It's got to dwell within you. You've got to give it at the preeminence in your life and, and put that word first and realize, hey, listen, this is the only thing that the, that the ark had in it. It had the law of God in it. That's the only thing you can have in your temple is this word hid in your heart. Nothing else, no doubt, no fear, no unbelief, nothing else but the word to have preeminence in your life and heart. Give that word preeminence. 
Amen. Oh, that the, that the glory of God could come and fill 120 men and women in the upper room and they become the temple of the Almighty God. Isn't that wonderful tonight? Amen. You could be the temple of the Holy Ghost. What a God this is, how he works in our lives and our hearts. My, we heard it time after time, point after point tonight. You know, the where, where, the, where the priest brought the word and placed it in the temple. That's what the, the ministry has to do is place that word. Amen. Service after service. You take that word in your heart and put it in its position. It's got to fit right there in the sockets. You and the word has got to become one. Amen. Join together because you're going to go through a lot of trials and tests in life. But when the word is in its proper place, then there won't be any room for doubt and fear and unbelief and, and all, all the darkness of evil and for sin to have preeminence. But the word can have preeminence in your life. That's what we want in our life here tonight. Amen. Put, that, put it there where it's in the heart. And then what's that in the heart of a man? pumping out to every fiber of your being, bringing your whole being controlled by the Holy Ghost. How many wants to be a being controlled by the Holy Ghost? Well, let the Lord Jesus then have the proper place in your life. Give him that preeminence. Amen. Ask him to come and take that place where the word has preeminence right there that you're a prepared body. And if you're a prepared body here, He's going to have another body for you one day, a glorious body. Amen. A body, a body that has never sinned in, a body that never smoked or drank or never was defiled. I'm talking about a body like his own glor glorious body that we one day will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. What a promise that is. Amen. To know your part tonight, down from his glory. Aren't you glad tonight that he came down? He came down to find you where you were. Some of us was in the gutter of sin. Some of us was in a wretched condition and we were all lost no matter who we were. It's not just a few of us. We were all in that condition. We needed a savior. Amen. But God came down to take on human battles, to come and fight it out for you, to make a way for you. And here we are tonight, the children of the living God. Amen. Here he comes, down from his glory. We ought to sing it tonight and say, oh, how I love him, how I adore him. He's my breath, my sunshine. He's the reason I'm, I can live. He's the reason I have hope. He's the reason that we have joy tonight. Amen. Let's worship him again as we sing that first verse again. Amen. Down from his glory. Hey. 